Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, November 24th, 2015, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. The next Pleiadian lineup will be in May of 2016, and last week we announced the night Starseed Crystal Quest Arkansas, starting May 15th through the 21st. This is a gathering of a particular soul family, which we call the Crystal Soul Family, and is identified by having at least one of these six star markings, either natally or progressed, 25, 26, or 27 degrees in Taurus, Scorpio, Aquarius, Leo, Capricorn, and Cancer. This soul group has the rites of passage where crystals are concerned, and when they come together in Arkansas, magical things happen. If you feel the call of the crystals but aren't sure if you have the markings, I'll be glad to take a quick look at your charts and let you know. Just send me your complete birth info with the date, the exact time, place, as well as your current location, and you can email that to crystals at starseedhotline.com. Tonight we're happy to have Veronica Entwistle return to our show. Veronica is an intuitive counselor, author, radio host, and energy healer, and she's just released her second book, My Near Life Experience, or How Do I Know When I Am Really Me? Using her clairvoyance, clairaudience, and clairsentience, she is able to help clients get to new levels of consciousness by transforming constrictive, constrictive energies and beliefs. Her quick sense of humor is delightful, and we're so glad to have her here with us tonight. Her website is veronicaentwistle.com, and Entwistle is spelled E-N-T-W-I-S-T-L-E.com. And there are links to her podcasts from both of her radio shows on bbsradio.com. At the top of the show, it is the Starseed News with Anastasia, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. We'd like to thank Fiona for hosting the Switchboard this evening. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and as always, we thank Tammy for her dedication to the forum. You can download our show podcasts on iTunes or right from our Blog Talk Radio episode page using the cloud with an arrow icon. We'd appreciate your support of our show, and you can do that by clicking follow on our page here at Blog Talk, <clears throat> excuse me, and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. And the Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings and your natal astrological chart. And the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. Remote healing sessions for people and pets are also available with Tammy. And if you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And if you want a Stage 2 interpretation of your solar return chart, please remember to order it at least two or three months ahead of time 
to make sure you get an appointment before your 10 hours. So first this evening, I would like to introduce Anastasia with the Starseed News. Well, good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be back with you. Um, We have a lot to talk about tonight, so I guess I'd better get into this. Um, We do have a chance of minor solar storms going on right now. NOAA forecasters are estimating a 40% chance of minor geomagnetic storms tomorrow when a solar wind stream is expected to hit the Earth's magnetic field. Now, uh, high-latitude sky watchers uh, will see more auroras through the glare of the waxing full moon, which turns full tomorrow, and this will be a full beaver moon for November. This was the time in days past to set beaver traps before the swamps froze so that they could have a supply of warm winter furs. People, not beavers. <laughs> this was about <laughs> beaver trapping at the time. And another interpretation of this uh, name or this moniker suggests that full beaver moon comes from the fact that the beavers are now very actively preparing for winter. It is sometimes also referred to as the frosty moon. And today our near our near Earth asteroid is 2015 V0142, and that is a flyby as of today. It is a mere one lunar distance uh, between us and the moon, so it is pretty close. Well, we have discovered a galactic monster mystery, and they have found this uh, in their effort to reveal galaxies that have remained hidden from view at very vast distances. They they say that according to the uh, uh, instruments that they use, whether whatever optical instrument that they examine the universe with, different instruments pick up different, uh, um, what am I trying to say, light spectrums. And not all of the distant galaxies have been able to be viewed. Of course, that you can imagine that. I mean, we're always learning about things. But what they did was uh, they have been working on this, and the Visible and Infrared Survey Telescope for Astronomy has discovered some of the youngest galaxies ever discovered, galaxies that were born a mere billion years after the Big Bang, or so they say. But there's something really weird going on with this discovery, because what they found is lots of them. And they're monsters. They're huge, enormous galaxies. They say, and I quote, We've uncovered 574 new massive galaxies, the largest sample of such hidden galaxies in the universe ever assembled. This is according to an astronomer with the Astronomical Institute at the University of Groningen, wherever that is. Anyway, a lot of uh, things being revealed there in deep, deep space. 574 new massive galaxies. And, of course, we all know there's so much more to find. But what a time we live in. Yeah. And speaking of science, we have quite a few science articles tonight because there's just a lot hopping in that way. Um, Get ready for this, guys, because a genetically modified human could exist within two years. Now, a biotech firm called Adidas Medicine says that humans who have had their DNA genetically modified could exist within the next two years. The company has announced that it will soon start the first trials of what it calls a groundbreaking new technique. Now, the U.S.-based Adidas company is striving to become the first lab in the world to edit the DNA of patients suffering from LCA, 
which is a genetic condition that causes severe vision loss at birth. Now, Adidas medicine scientists believe they can fix uh, the mutated DNA using gene editing technology that allows scientists to edit genes, quote, with precision, efficiency, and flexibility. They hope to start this trial with blind patients as early as 2017. That's a little over a year away. And it would be the first time the technology was ever used on human beings. Now, the real question that many people are asking is if we should really be manipulating nature in such a way. Good question to ask. And about manipulating nature and genetics, get this. This is from Reuters. There is a genetically modified salmon that has been cleared for human consumption by the FDA. Yes, indeed. Federal regulators cleared the way for a genetically engineered salmon to be farmed for human consumption. In the first ever such approval for an animal whose DNA has been scientifically modified. Yikes. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration's approval of the salmon followed years of deliberations. One wonders what kind of deliberations that would be, but the regulator has now declared that the salmon is as nutritious as normally grown Atlantic salmon, which means the salmon will not require special labeling. That little distinction that has been made and dictates the salmon will not require labeling. Now, the approval for the fish is to be sold under uh, the Aqua Advantage brand. Remember that, Aqua Advantage brand. That comes with the condition that the salmon be raised only in two specific contained hatchery tanks in Canada and Panama and not in the United States. Now, Consumer and environmental groups have been working to get retailers to pledge, promise, and swear that they will not sell GMO salmon in their stores. And they're also trying to roll back the FDA approval and are considering a lawsuit to block GMO salmon from reaching the market. Now, according to the activist group Friends of the Earth, at least 35 other species of genetically engineered fish, along with chickens, pigs, and cows, are under development at this present time. And they say the FDA's decision on this genetically engineered salmon application sets a precedent for other genetically engineered fish and animals. So, friends of the earth, you might want to check that out, see what kind of support they need. Well, um, in China, they have discovered a deadly gene that resists all forms of antibiotics. Scientists have just identified the first gene helping bacteria uh, resist the only antibiotic group known to be effective when all others fail. Um, this is a gene that resists antibiotics, and it's a particular class of antibiotics that they use to battle superbugs. Now, Chinese and British experts came to the alarming conclusion, and this is from Reuters, by the way, that our last line of antibiotics excuse me, antibiotic defense has been breached. Oh, we don't know if that's extreme or not, but that's what the article says. Anyway, research published in the journal Lancet Infectious Diseases predicts a return to the dark ages because now common germs like E. coli puts a person in danger. They say that the research that we're referring to in this piece that I'm talking about looked closely at Chinese farms where it is believed that this dangerous thing happened. Um, it is a gene which is called MCR1, and this gene allows common bacteria to develop resistance to the antibiotic group that I just spoke about. 
Now, how they discovered the gene and why this is relevant is that it was found on plasmids. And plasmids are mobile versions of DNA that are copied and transferred between different microbes. In other words, it can pass hand-to-hand, so to speak. And this is what worries the scientists because that means that the spread of disease could be much more aggressive and affect more bacteria, or the spread of the gene, excuse me, the gene that makes the bacteria antibiotic resistant. And they also discovered that this basic genetic resistance began with farm animals and has already been transferred to humans. They have done studies on humans with blood work, humans in hospitals, and have found that very gene uh, that they found on the uh, farm animals in China uh, to be the same. So there you go. Maybe they should quit giving the the animals that we eat antibiotics. It might be very helpful. That's what I'm thinking. No kidding. No kidding. Y'all, we just all need to start growing gardens. That's just about it. Well, this is a wonderful story. I got so excited about this. This came out of Live Science, and uh, the headline reads, Hobbits were a separate species, according to studies of ancient teeth. Hobbits, you guys. Hobbits. Yes, this is so cool. An ancient three-foot-tall human whose very small stature has earned it the nickname Hobbit has puzzled evolutionary scientists since its little bones were discovered on the Indonesian island of Flores. Now, some have suggested that the individual was a homo sapien with some miniaturizing disorder. But now, teeth from the hobbit suggest that it belonged to a unique species rather than a modern human with a growth disorder. The new research also suggests that hobbits may share a direct ancestor with modern humans. Now, this is an 18,000-year-old fossil that were the remains of this little hobbit, and that was discovered in 2003. But since then, scientists have suggested that the hobbit, which had a brain about the size of a grapefruit, was a unique branch of the human lineage Homo, dubbed Homo floris incisus. Now, the scientists have detailed their findings online uh, just this week in the journal PLOS One, so if you want to go check that out, please do. I'm leaving out a lot of details there. That's absolutely fascinating. They are finding, you all, more and more strains of humanoid types people, type of people who have lived on this planet. So the family tree is growing from scientific findings that they're uncovering. Oh, it sure is. Yeah. Well, this is interesting for all of you people that can't tolerate lactose. A study has shown that Europeans developed the ability to tolerate milk thousands of years after milk was like being drunk by Russians, drank by Russians. (laughs) I'm not sure about that. (laughs) Anyway, the ability for adult Europeans to drink milk was inherited from Russian herders only 4,000 years ago, and this is according to a genetic study. And uh, everybody has previously assumed that the ability to drink milk came to Europe and happened with the first farmers who farmed cows. But um, they say that there was actually a 4,500-year period when European farmers couldn't tolerate milk. And so the way they are interpreting this uh, from a study of DNA of 230 Eurasians who lived way back when, they discovered that it was Russian herders from the Great Steppes who brought the genetic uh, ability or the enzymes for lactose tolerance into Europe. So apparently Russians were some of the first people that could tolerate milk. And so if you aren't able to tolerate lactose, you probably lack that gene. 
interesting. They're very interesting. All right. Well, uh, you know, movies in the 50s used to, uh, way back when, you guys, way back when, they would uh, promote ideas that robots were the wave of the future and that robots would visit other planets and robots would do exploring and robots would cook your meals and all that. Well, uh, futurologists have been talking about that for generations, but that's not quite how it's working out. Uh, NASA has a robot planned for planetary exploration, but it's not a robot. It's a brand new kind of bot. Actually, it's not so new, but it's going to explore distant worlds, and it is not a humanoid. It's not a mechanical animal. It doesn't look like anything from science fiction, but instead it represents or resembles a very common structure that is actually resembles a baby toy. It's called the Super Ball Robot, and it's the brand-new tool for space exploration. And they designed it this way so that it will land safely on planets um, because it has a bunch of wire and rods that's indestructible. And so they just figure, I guess, if they drop it, it's going to bounce along the surface and it won't get broken. So nothing too fancy, just a ball designed after a baby's toy full of wires and all kinds of uh, instruments to read the surface of a planet. Wow. 50%, this is kind of a sad story, you all, but 50% of our closest living relatives are on the brink of extinction around the world, and these are our relatives in the animal kingdom, meaning specifically the world's primates. Scientists are saying that they're facing extinction due to our destruction of the habitats in which they live. The burning and clearing of large areas of tropical forest and hunting of primates for food and, of course, Naturally, the illegal wildlife trade has made has placed many species of apes, lemurs, and monkeys at risk of dying out. Now, this is a long article that covered 25 uh, particular primates that have been put on this extinction warning list. But among these are the Sumatran orangutan, uh, gorillas, and howler monkeys, and uh, the hyena and gibbon. These are kind of iconic type species of primates, but a lot of the world's primates are really jeopardized by the overrun of their habitat. And in California, they are now in the season of the migration of the sandhill cranes. Now, sandhill cranes are beautiful. They have red heads and a seven-foot wingspan, wingspan, excuse me, and they are landing by the thousands near Sacramento. Uh, right now they're coming in, during, and they do that all fall and winter. But the state's ongoing drought has left the cranes, along with, they say, millions of other waterfowl that migrate from normal climates, northern climates, uh, to spend the winter over in California. Uh, they have fewer places to land, and they say that the birds' health is threatened because there's not enough places for them to shelter and to have food. So they think that this is going to start diminishing uh, the um, population of the migratory birds, the water birds that come to California to winter over. There's just, um, the, the drought has affected their habitat as well. Well, we've had a 5.5 uh, magnitude earthquake that rattled Mexico, and that was yesterday. It did sway buildings in Mexico City. Um, it was about 170 miles south of Mexico, the epicenter was, but um, the quake was uh, felt strongly there. They say that that's because Mexico City is built on some pretty 
unstable land, uh, silt and such. There was no damage. And in China, northwest China, we had a 5.2 magnitude earthquake yesterday, and there were no injuries uh, there either. And in Memphis, Tennessee, residents of certain streets there say their neighborhood has been infested with spiders, millions upon millions of spiders. You remember a couple of months ago, I mentioned that in a similar story about another state having infestations of spiders in their trees. Well, now it's in Memphis, and they say that this uh, problem is causing headaches for homeowners. They have taken photographs of a half-mile-long spider web a half mile long that shows the extent of this spider problem. The web looks like uh, maybe morning dew, and it covers the grass along the road uh, between houses. And nobody really knows what to do about that either. Just let the spiders go, I say. Um, there's been a new study about groundwater. This comes from fizz.org. Uh, this is concerning, but the study has discovered that less than 6% of Earth's modern groundwater is renewable within a human lifetime. Now, groundwater is so precious. It's about the most precious natural resource we have. And groundwater itself ranges in age, but you never thought about this, about the age of groundwater. This is fascinating. It ranges in age from months to millions upon millions of years old. A lot of groundwater existed back in the prehistoric dinosaur times, well, now, around the world, there is an increasing demand to know just how much water we've got left and how long before we tap it out. And for the first time, they say, since a cursory calculation of global groundwater was attempted back in 1970, an international group of hydrologists has produced the first estimate of the Earth's total supply of groundwater. Now, the study was led by the University of Victoria and was published in today's uh, published today in uh, Geo, Nature Geoscience, excuse me. But the report says that less than 6% of groundwater in the upper two kilometers of the Earth's landmass is renewable within a human lifetime. They say this has never been known before. Now, we already know that water levels in lots of aquifers are dropping. We're using our groundwater resources too fast, just a lot faster than they're being renewed. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. 6% is renewable within a human lifetime. Wow. Just think about that. Hmm. So water is precious. And all of that discovery has, again, stirred up discussions, thankfully, about the waste of water caused, waste of uh, groundwater as well as the pollution of groundwater caused by fracking, which is just destroying immense amounts of our uh, aquifers. So, you know, decision time, people. Lots of decisions need to be made. And uh, our starseed are on the on the forefront, forefront of all of this. So keep on shining, and when you've got decisions to be made, do it. Let's make good decisions. The planet needs it. And uh, it's going to be a very interesting show tonight, Ariel. I'm looking forward to it. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Okay. Well, Anastasia, thank you so much for bringing us the Starseed News. And um, right now I'm going to bring Lavendar on. So just give me a second while I get this opened up. Okay, Lavendar, I'm going to bring Veronica on. And just give me a moment to get that button pushed. Okay. 
We are on go. Lavender and Veronica, take it away. Lavender here. Veronica, so glad to to talk to you again, and I'm so excited that you have this new book. So tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and why you decided to write this book at this time. I think because I've had an urge to write my whole life, but I was always too kind of hyper to sit there, you know. Have you ever been like that? Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and uh, and I've had like most of the star seeds that that you speak to and that you know, I've had one of those interesting lives where I wasn't really myself. I struggled all the time with having, for example, visions or feelings or understandings without any corroboration of that, and I kept pushing it aside so I wouldn't be uh, crazy or I wouldn't be in trouble. And I wrote about how my life was like that, but then I cracked up, and I call it having a nervous breakthrough. I um, had a husband, young husband, who died, and I had to give up a native daughter we had adopted, and she was running. And uh, I hadn't dealt with my childhood, what would you call them, abuse issues or crazy stuffed-down issues and so on. So I cracked up very uh, thoroughly. And then I came out as an intuitive, so I call it my nervous breakthrough. And uh, it, it's really been interesting because I had visions as a little kid, which a lot of people listening to this show have had. And in those visions, I saw a lot of things that are actually a lot more true and a lot more real. It took me stuffing, stuffing all that and then living a whole bunch of experiences, cracking up before I could start looking at those visions and really making sense of them, like reading them and listening and so on. So I think it's an interesting story, not because it's just about me, but it's about cracking into the truth of myself. And people keep telling me they laugh and cry, so I think uh, it's a good story. <laughs> so let me let me ask you, Veronica, uh, how long ago did you have your breakthrough? And uh, how many years or months? Or Give us a time frame. I think it was about, let me see, it was about 1977 that it started, and it probably, Lavendar, took me 10 years to get through it. I don't mean that I was star graving the whole time. I just mean that the sensitivity was so acute that probably it was a good 10 years before I had the um, stability, if you want. I went back to university, and I started doing radio, and I had a surprise child, and a whole bunch of things started developing. So that would have been 30 years ago that I had the child, you know. And um, But then I became an intuitive around 30, 34 years ago when the vision started to be reliable, you know. And... Uh, and it was really funny because when I was working, because I had had such a difficult time, I went, left my hometown of Vancouver, B.C., and I moved to Edmonton, got a job, got a house there. My whole life fell apart again, and I went, okay, I'm not living the life I'm supposed to live. So I started doing three hours of yoga a day, put my house on the market, quit my job, didn't pay bills. <laughs> and uh, a friend came by. And I'm sitting in front of my hearth, my fireplace, doing yoga, doing alternate nostril breathing. And she said, um, are you crazy? I said, I might be, but I'm going to be able to tell you all about it. And from there, I really broke down what was going on inside of me. It became kind of a linear internal event, if you will. Does that make sense? Is my clear there? 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, during this period of time, were you in touch with other beings or um, astrals or galactic beings or anything that would resemble, you know, the other where? Oh, yes. Um, always, all my life off and on, I've had spirits um, come by. I don't know about um, uh, ETs, and the reason I say that is because sometimes the presence wasn't clear, but I knew when I looked at the universes that I had more friends out there than I did here. And um, and I would see beings, but I would deny it because so, my mom was always saying, they're going to lock you up. You know, I don't want to be locked up particularly. Neither do you, right? <laughs> and uh, so as I did my alternate nostril breathing and really started to search for it, yeah, I began to see guides. I began to see people that had passed over um, quite easily. I could call them in, and it just got to be... Um, quite a wild uh, neighborhood it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood there's a lot of beings out there and i know you experienced that with the passing of a lover right right yes yes i did yeah mm-hmm. yeah he he hung around for a little while just to prove that he could he could do things <laughs> so yeah i, I, I have experienced that also did you also have that experience with your loved ones when they crossed over yeah, well, my husband died, but he went messing around with a couple of women from a consciousness raising group before he died. So I did what it was necessary to the very end. And then when he showed up, I used to say, go, go to the light. Go on, get out of here, go to the light. Until uh, about three years after he'd passed, and then I listened to what he had to say. And uh, and learned a lot with him and from him for a while. And then he left, as they do, you know. And one one of the things I discovered from him when I finally calmed down and got over my um, anger that he and I shared some of the same guidance. He would come in and show me, or he would dance with me because I do this dance workout in order to access the higher guides. It's kind of a shamanic, uh, what do they call it, chaotic dance. And he would show up and dance with me and we would laugh and he couldn't talk for a while and we played charades and it was a big job. But in any case, one day he was dancing with me, and that's where the visions usually started when I was dancing, usually by myself. And in it, I saw these incredible uh, geometric shapes like temples and so on. And I'm in a basement where there's rafters and laundry and all this stuff, but I didn't see all that when I was in vision form. And he showed me that he also was studying from some of the same beings. Not all of them. And that was really interesting for me because we were in a kind of a vaulted state of what we had in common. And then he turned and danced away as I danced into um, uh, the area in which I was being led, if you understand. Um, And I realized then, I mean, I just knew without a doubt that that was what was happening. He was on a different path than I was, but we had some intersection points. Which, of course, you can relay back to our life on Earth, couldn't you? Right. So do you feel like that he's reincarnated back in body, or is he aboard ship, or is he uh, remaining in astral? Have you had any more contact with him? Yeah, he he was reborn some years later. And he, he didn't, be- now this is interesting, he did not believe in emotions. <laughs> he was one of those 60s revolutionary, very brilliant kind of characters, and lots of charisma. And he didn't like emotions. He called it driveling pap because I'm very emotional and really articulate. 
So um, then one day when he came to see me from the other side and he had been studying a lot of levels of intelligence and consciousness and so on, and he said, now I'm going to be gone. I'm not coming anymore because I'm going to be born as a little boy in Idaho, which struck me as hilarious for some reason. We're from Canada, and so he's going to be in Idaho. But anyway, he said he was going to become a very emotional boy. <laughs> so I thought that was a pretty, it made me laugh, actually. So that's quite an interesting turnaround for a young revolutionary character, isn't it? He didn't How many years about, ago was that that he said that? Um, probably 82, 1982, 83, something like that. Well, see, uh, I was told that these new kids that were coming in after 1980 were going to be really genetically uh, and starseed um, guided. And so I'm just wondering how old he must be now and what is he doing. Yeah. Okay. He would be, yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, I don't know about the ET part, but I do know this that he was exploring human consciousness and inventions. And I've I've learned a lot about energy from my own guides, and he was learning a lot about energy and that kind of thing in an evolutionary way. So I would say I haven't asked that question of him. I haven't called him because I always felt that was kind of an impinging kind of thing to do to spirits. But I believe that you're right, that he would have launched himself to take part in a new way of comprehending. Oh, now as I see him from he's still he's on the other side again, but he's very very active with I would say um energy energy production or energy something to do with free radical you know free energy that sort of thing. I think he's very involved with that. Yeah, the Tesla stuff, yeah. Yeah, and he's very involved with different dimensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, one of the things, Veronica, that I have learned through all of my experiences is that um, there are times when a person that crosses over can come back and 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 visit uh, some of their loved ones. It's on the birth date and the death date. There is a three-day window that opens. Hmm if a person is in another body experiencing another existence uh in their sleep they can they can literally come out of their um their body and and go to visit loved ones oh wow hmm. i've experienced this with several different people at different times and in fact oh, wow. my my mother's death was at thanksgiving on november 23rd which was really yesterday and every every um, year now, around this time, I get a little visit from her. Uh, you know, it's like we don't really have any conversation. It's just a knowing and just a feeling and just I know that I'm being observed. Mm. <laughs> Put it that way. Isn't that That's really interesting. So do you feel this, that, um, this is a question I'm asking on purpose, is do you feel they can observe us uh, whenever they want, even though they're in another body? Yes. So it's a multidimensional thing. Yes, because some of them have been trained to to uh, to live in several bodies at once. Aha, uh-huh. okay. That answers some questions for me. I have an interesting thing about my mother who was very, very distressed and angry her whole life. 
And she was hard on her kids and so on. And after she passed, she used to come to me and tell me to take messages to my father, please, or ask me to take messages to my father, which I did, even though I said he's going to be mad at me or he's going to think I'm an idiot or something but because uh, he didn't believe in this stuff. But I did it because, you know, because you do, right? And um, But she also gave me a lot of flack from the other side. I, and I finally said, you know, Mom, I'm not going to take your calls anymore. I'll take, I'll take your message to Dad. But after 50-odd years of this, I'm not taking your crap, you know. I tried to be polite because she's a spirit. Anyway, long and the short of it is, I got messages for other people from her, but she didn't talk to me anymore until 17 years after that, and I was chopping veggies in the kitchen, and this big pink light came around the corner, and I looked, and I went, oh, my gosh. I said, Mom, is that you? And she said, I want you to know that I broke through, that I have broken through a huge barrier I had against love my whole life, and my whole room was just full of a loving mother presence and it changed my whole uh comprehension because that experience of her having been to school or whatever it is and and uh, really having the energy of what it was she was saying that was very very touching to me and she had me call my dad and my daughter and various other people all of whom were deeply touched and it changed our um I don't know how you work with it, Lavendar, but I'm finding that very often the spirits that come to me particularly anyway uh, are here to undo or unravel some of the containments that they left behind through behavior, through neuroses or whatever. And and my mom's situation in that case was very, very profound for us. Well, do you think that, that they rest when they die? Do you think they go to a place where they just take time out? I think that's up to the individuals. My um, husband said, he he was a very funny guy too, and he said, there's no such thing as RIP. <laughs> he said he was working hard over there. But some of the people I see, the first time I did a reading with the person on the other side, she had um, suicided 15 years earlier and her sister was looking for her. And she was just rolling around in this kind of gray fog and... Um, Having been raised Catholic, which has got some great stuff and some not-so-hot stuff, anyway, we just started praying because we were taught very much to pray for the dead. So we prayed and prayed and prayed for her. And every week when this woman came for her sessions, her sister was more awake and more awake until finally she was awake. And I learned a little bit about praying for the dead at that through that initiating experience. And... Uh, so, yes, I think some of them take a rest. Some of them are in a kind of coma. Like I've seen people be absolutely out to lunch on the other side and other people just whip through and they're like, da-da, here I am. <laughs> well, don't you think what it's you? different levels of consciousness that they've built up through eons of time that you know to be able to some zip through it because they've done it so many times before and then maybe others haven't? Yeah, I do. And um like my dad didn't believe in all this stuff, but he was very smart and he had he was widowed twice, which kind of put him in touch with things. And when he died, he kept coming to me and saying, "Thank you, thank you, thank you." And I said, "Um uh why why are you saying thank you, dad?" And he said, "Cuz you told me to keep my eyes open and it's wonderful." So, there you have it. That's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. 
Uh, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about colors. Uh, what do colors that you see, uh, what do they mean to you? I know that that the that the colors that I have been given to work with, that the purples and the blues, are are uh, a breathing technique. You know that I do with all my clients. And I was oh, I love that breathing technique. Of- long time ago that in our bloodlines that we have in our DNA that we're color-coded with certain colors and uh, that some of the colors that are being activated now are rising up in people and activating them into consciousness. Have you have you discovered this also with your work with color? Um, you know, I, yes, and I've discovered maybe it's a different system, but for example, there's a... a a lot of this kind of um, pinky, orangey, salmony color with gold. And when I see that someone's sort of inner uh, belly or the vault of uh, kind of their soul's journey or so on, is that color, I know that they're meant to be very, very... I just know, I don't. Ha- I haven't studied it that way officially, but I just know that they're meant to be uh, an influence of love and harmony and if it's really powerful and has a lot of like, I don't know, like really radiant tones in it, I know that they're going to be very expressive of that. And if it's like purple or green, it's, um, yeah, when you were talking about the blues and purples, I feel like they're going to express a kind of, uh, depending on the intensity of the tones, uh, a spiritual um my guides are saying there's partly an observation that they're capable of that's way beyond and also a spiritual pursuit that is quite uh, uh, effective and dynamic. And I think colors that. can be codes. You know, like like um, like the Da Vinci Code book, when it came out and it started waking people up about how codes are placed in cathedrals, in stained glass, in different places. I think colors are... are um, part of that, don't you? I do, I do. And uh, yes, because they uh, have a huge impact on me when I'm reading people's soul journey, for example. If I look at someone's soul journey, the colors tell me um, they might be a mixture, a melange of them and so on, but they tell me a whole lot about their soul journey. And so you, the word code is perfect for it, right? Yeah, yeah. I think the codes are, It's it's like... Um, you know the Navajos; they, they were code talkers, and they had oh, really? a certain way of uh, delivering messages through codes. Well, I think the Star Seeds—they have a way of delivering their messages with codes. See, I think there's Star Seed code talkers, and then I think there's Star Seed code carriers. I think there are people that carry codes, but maybe they don't talk it; maybe they just spread it around. Or maybe they just know it because they read them when they're going through visitations with different people, you know? Yeah. What, like, what do people see when they see other people? So you, you might be talking, I, I mean, I'm interpreting from what you say, that we could be looking at codes at various people and interpreting them, right? Well, it's that, that certain people will be able to speak and say things in a certain cadence or certain words or deliver a message in such a way that it will activate another person's DNA. Yeah, I like that a lot, yes. It won't just and be makes... superficial, third-dimensional conversation. It goes much deeper than that. Right. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that a lot, yes. How we, um... Well, of course, music does that too, doesn't it? Yes, yes. 
Mm-hmm. Because it's, you know, it's a harmonic. There's color and sound and um, and and um, numbers, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I fought a lot. A long time with numbers in school. <laughs> I just couldn't get algebra or geometry. But <laughs> I realized that everything is mathematically correct, everything um, on the planet. It's it's all based on a mathematical equation. Uh, all creation is, is, is done with mathematical equations and color and sound. Mm-hmm. It's the combination, I find. So... Tell us more about what what people will experience when they get your book. Uh, what will they glean from from purchasing your book and and reading your story? You know, it's really funny. So far, the people that have read it because it just came out, so I have like fifteen people that have read it that I know of right now, and they pretty much every well, maybe not two of them, but everybody else has said this. Told me this. They read into it things that impacted their own life, meaning it's not just a story about me. Um, it's a story about uh, waking up. It's a story about how we use our feelings to either suppress or expand, and what does it take, and what does it mean, and so. Uh, and I feel like it's many, many chapters of my life, you know, because it's been a fairly long life so far, right, Lavender? <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm proud of that because it's kind of like an epic tale, but people keep saying, oh, my gosh, I feel like it's myself. I feel like it's about me as well. So I, I think that's probably my favorite thing to say about it. Well, that's, and it that's makes people- really a wonderful thing uh, for people to say because for you to write it and and have people to look through your eyes as they're reading your material and saying, oh, me too, me too. That's that's really, you know, that's the mark of a true writer and true author is to be able to extend the verbiage in such a way as to have other people look through your eyes and feel what you're feeling and then being able to identify with it. And then after they identify with it, hopefully they'll evolve themselves out of it, whatever it is. Well, several people have said they t- a lot of people told me they took notes. <laughs> for notes. Themselves. Oh, goodness. Yeah. But I'm going back to what you said about because it's written like a story. It's not like a really pedantic thing. But when you said that about code, um, I'm going, well, so here's a book, and not just my book, lots of books, where you go through it and people get activated by reading it. That's codes, isn't it? That's in a, intrinsic codes. Yeah. Is it not? Right. Yeah. Because the way that you have positioned your words with feelings and experiences becomes a code of reality for them to experience. Yeah, I I like that. Now, the second title of the book is How Do I Know When I'm Really Me? And when people ask, well, how do I know when I'm really me? And we've got to go back to the codes. When you get activated, it doesn't matter what it is that activates you. Doesn't that throw us into an aspect of ourselves that needs to come out or needs to be expressive, right? When I read this, how do I know when I'm really me, I, I kind of chuckled because I thought, well, which me is that? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know, I've, we've had so many different lifetimes and so many different uh, experiences. We've had so many soulmates, and we've lived, loved, and died with a lot of people. And it's like, can we can we really put me anywhere? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like we... We're a combination of all that we've ever been. 
I know. Well, I just think of the lotus, right? Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with you, and I feel like... But you know something, Lavendar? I feel like we have a deep, intrinsic me-ness. I do. I, I, uh, I'm so different than I've been in this context, that context, even in this life, and in um, other lives which I've had experiences waking up to. But there's always something... Like even if you're seeing other life experiences, you can tell which one's you, right? You know what I mean? There's something that's kind of like in there, not like a fingerprint, but deep in. Like your, as if there, there is a there is a soul voice, and there, there is a soul um, harmonic that resonates yeah. through all the lifetimes. That's what I like is the harmonic. You're right. I, I think that's so. Yeah, the, really the soul harmonic. So. It's it's the one that you have developed that you uh, bring with you. You know, when when I, I talk about the cosmic bank account in, in astrology, finding your ascensions and finding your places where you have you know been able to come to the planet, do your work, and leave pretty karma free. And I find that a lot of people have that. I'm 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 really amazed to to see the people that think they have to go to a seminar to learn ascension when actually a lot of people that um, are going to those seminars have already ascended already. So I don't know why they're going. <laughs> I don't know why they're doing well, it. When I'm looking at the the soul path and go, wow, you've already done this. You just need to remember that whenever you get ready to leave the planet, you can do that. And here's the other part about ascension. True ascension is getting ready to leave your body. You're not going to be here anymore to participate. So I'm wondering, with a lot of these gurus out there going, oh, yeah, come to my seminar and learn how to ascend. It's like, okay, you want to learn how to, to die and leave the planet? Have you ever thought about that, Veronica? <laughs> yeah, I think about that a lot. But I think what I'm going to tell you that I have, uh, let me see, I don't know anything, Lavendar. I'm theorizing, you know, because I, I change things because of different experiences. But it seems to me that ascension is the me. Let's go back to that thing about how do I know when I'm really me. Is the meanness that evolves and comes up with a new level of meanness and me and me and so on and so forth. And I kind of consider that to be ascension. And then I start thinking of this sort of thing, which is, gee, maybe I have to get, because I believe so much in releasing identity and releasing identity and releasing identity over and over so we're not hooked into what the identity is. And then I keep thinking, well, is it a matter of getting to the point of death where you're innocent enough and unidentified enough, or, yeah, young enough, you know what I mean by young is like not kind of piled up with a whole bunch of reactions and so on that I'll be young and pure enough to leave, to just leave because it's time. You know what I mean? That's kind of how I play with it. Hmm. Have it, ha, no, I haven't looked at it that way. That's interesting, though. It's hmm. just a theory on my part, but it sometimes when I said that to you, it touched my heart. So I'm going like, I think there's something in there. <laughs> I could be wrong, but that's how I see ascension, you know. It's like you know what uh, all of us could be wrong. <laughs> it's like, you know, who who knows what what play that we're playing actually at times. You know, I know I, just, I had a lover once you say and after all maybe God's a caterpillar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this is she caterpillar. <laughs> 
But I think the ascension part to me is like scales, only they're infinite scales. Yeah, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And you go up vibration. And I also think this, Lavender, do you think this is right? That you're the only one in the universe that's you, and I'm the only one that's me. Hmm. Well, there there is uh, this um, uh, consideration about at one time there was a splitting, there was this gigantic fragmentation of souls, and each soul divided into 18 parts of soul. And those oh, wow. parts then go and live different lives in different bodies. And then when they come back together, then they come back together as a whole being. Have you heard about that? No. Um, yeah. So there's diff- there's a lot of different theories about how that works. But I used to sit with a girlfriend who's Métis, part Indian, part uh, white from northern Canada. And I said, well, I don't know what God, because we were both raised Catholic. I said, I don't know what God is, but maybe it's like there's this huge ball and it got smashed into bits, and all those little bits have to come together, and then you've got God. So it's not the. I mean, I was very young when we came up with that. We used that to sounds laugh like and drop. what I just said about you know eighteen parts of soul. Yeah, I know. That's why. That's why I'm reiterating. I'm going. Yeah, that's kind of fun, isn't it? Like it's fun to cogitate that sort of thing, isn't it? Uh, I noticed that um, on some of the things you sent me, you have destiny versus dharma. What is the difference? Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay. Do you want to answer that first or shall I? No, go ahead. Okay. So once again, I'm always playing with these things. Now, destiny to me is like the way I am right now, I can create uh, goals and a life, right? But to me, dharma is a deepening, a dropping off of what I consider to be reactions and aspects of identity and so on so that I can kind of purify and follow the deeper urges to do what it is that I, the only one in the universe, came to contribute to this huge mass of humanity. That's how I... Well, I would call that destiny, what you just said, instead of dharma. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I mean, I see how it works together, actually. It's like for people that come to the planet and not know who they are, and then once mm-hmm. they awaken and say, "Oh, I know who I am now. I know what I came to do," and then they and then they go into all of the all of the dharma at that moment. Okay. Well, so but I, my phone blanked out. So did you talk about destiny as being uh, what people tell me again? Because my phone went dead. And I thought I'd lost you. I have no idea what I just said. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I cannot recall that. But I heard your. I heard you leave, and I didn't know. I, I knew that you left. I don't know how I heard it because there was no sound on the on the phone. But for some reason, there was this dead air silence, and I I felt it. Are you still there? You think it, you think it's a message? What? You think it's a message? Oh no. <laughs> I don't either. But it's funny, isn't it? You yeah, know? it is. But so so basically what I understand is you're saying that destiny is what we get doing on the planet until we get to a point of wisdom where we become aware of who of yeah who we are and and how we you know once you say okay I know who I am I know what I came here to do and I I know what my name is on you know so many people do things and their name's not on it 
they'll, they'll say, oh, I want to do that because my friend's doing it. Well, if your name's not on it, then don't do it because, you know, you and your friend may not have the same destiny path. So fi- for people to find what, you know, what has their name on it, that's very important is to to ask that question. A lot of people just never ask that question. Lavendar, this is Ariel, and it looks like Veronica just dropped off altogether, so we'll just wait for her to call back in. Just felt it. It's funny. I felt it. Isn't that strange? I felt her leave again. And it wasn't from a sound. It was just a, it was a something. I can't, I can't explain that. Wow. Um, Did she call in on Skype or on her landline? No, she called in on Skype. Oh, yeah, that's probably why then. Yeah, well, yeah, because her, her landline apparently, um, I think she's coming back. Hang on a second. Yeah, it looks like she just called back in, but um, she's she's talking to Fiona. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure this is her that's called back in. So, Hello. Yeah, okay. <laughs> You're back. I apologize. It's just we're having technical problems here in L.A., well, that that's fine. You're back now, and that's what's important. So, um. well, I, I tell you what, it's it's at the top of the hour, and that's when I really uh, turn it over to you, Ariel, and for the switchboard for people to call in with questions. So, Veronica, at this time, I'd like to pass you over to my co-host, Ariel, and to the switchboard, and we'll talk later, girl. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. And I want to read your book, so send me a copy of your book. I'd love to have one. I will indeed. Thank you. I'll write in it. <laughs> Good, thank you. Cool. Thanks, thanks, Lavendar. Okay. Uh, so at this time, um, Veronica, you're up for, for questions from the callers? I sure am, and I hope my little Skype call is going to hang in there. <laughs> well, um, <laughs> you you were able to call back in, so um, we'll just, we've actually got um, a, a caller in the screening room, so, but if anybody has a question uh, for Veronica, and and you will, you're willing to answer questions about people's soul journey and their purpose and relationship. Oh, I sure am. Yeah, okay. I sure am. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a question for Veronica, if you're already on the switchboard, you just need to press one, so we know you want to come on the air with a question. And if you're not already on the switchboard, if you're listening on the computer, then you'll need to dial nine one seven eight eight nine. 8292, and then press 1 after you're in so that we know you want to come on the air. And as soon as this uh, caller gets out of the screening room, we'll get going with the first question. So um, in the meantime, is there there any um, part of your book or part of your work that you would like to um, talk about? Um, I think one of the most fascinating parts for me living, it may not even be in the reading, but living is talking with spirits on the other side and making sense of why we would bother doing that. I think that's probably about as interesting as can be to me because I used to say, I'm not talking to spooks, sorry. <laughs> and then I had to learn. <laughs> They've helped a lot of people. People, some of my clients have been very helped by that experience. And uh, the other thing is learning to trust myself and studying um, 
the vibrational impact, the things I learned about energy that came directly from my own guidance have been very, very powerful. And that's me being a rebel, not trusting any teachers and so on, and learning from my own guidance. And I'm just so grateful for that. And uh, and one of the things we do is we use sacred geometric uh, shapes to create healing, uh, like a healing temple. And I do that on my own radio show. And people, I take people in there with the guides, and they get a lot of healing in there too. And that's been uh, something that I just channeled through. Um, the guides taught me how to do that, and I appreciate that very much. You know, I think because I like the whole multi-dimensional qualities of working with you or me, or you know, we're not just this being; we're multi-dimensional beings, and I love to understand that. You know. Mhm. Okay. Well, we have our caller <clears throat> out of the screening room now, and we're going to be talking okay. to Donna as soon as I get your microphone open. Okay. Okay, come on, button. I'm clicking. Okay, Donna, you are on <laughs> Veronica. Hi. Go ahead and ask her your question. Oh, hi, hey, Donna. Hi. hi. Hi there. You know, I've been running into this um, lately. I have friends and, you know, acquaintances that will be talking about spirituality and, and I, I believe, and, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open to, like, reincarnation and all, you know, all the spiritual stuff, and they just, they just seem to need truth and I was trying to figure out a way how to, you know, in a simple way to to get them to maybe take a second look at, you know, the possibility of it, you know, that it being a truth, you know, a, a being true without them, you know, a re- requiring the proof that they think that that they need in order to believe it. Is there is there any simple way that I can, you know, explain it to them? I don't know if that's a silly question, but it seems like a I get I get a little frustrated at times when when um, people are so close-minded, and I want to be able to like maybe shed a little light on on the subject, but I still don't know how to go about and do that. Do that. Yeah, I think it's really hard. Except that um, usually people will hear it better if you mm-hmm. look at kind kind of traits. Or for example, there are a couple of books that show the similarities between, say, John F. Kennedy and an old president from 100 years ago or 200 years ago. They look very similar. It's kind of interesting to track that sort of thing. Get a book like that with lots of pictures that go online. And and people people go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, and that's pretty interesting. Well, yeah, but then they'll just probably say, oh, that's just just a coincidence, you know. You know what I mean? (laughs) I just don't. I just wish there was a simple way or just something to, to just... So, so at least make them consider, or at least have an open mind to the fact that there is life after death and that we do, you know, we do come back. Um, we just have to, I don't know, I'm just, it seems like I've been running in, into that situation um, a lot lately. I just didn't know how to, how to explain Well, I think it. what's really interesting, here's another thing, is if you look at the planet, you know, have you ever heard the old phrase, it was ever thus? <laughs> Things haven't yeah. changed. We've got Adam and Eve, and they've got their two sons, one of whom kills the other, right? And we're still living that kind of consciousness and that kind of philosophy. And somehow it makes me realize, uh, I guess it's that if if we're just passing on the mm-hmm. same limitations and so on and so forth it shows in our species it shows all over the world 
And I think that's another way to do it. And the other thing is how people look like people look like each other. I had an adopted native daughter and my second husband and she looked alike. And then I was visiting somebody recently who also looked like her. And so I thought, Oh, there's a soul imprint coming through and you and I know and your friends who you're teaching will probably need to hear this anyway, that yeah. we're attracting people in our right. soul. Yeah, right. so you could start well, that's attracting why, how that's people... That's why I think that I'm coming across these, these circumstances. Maybe I'm the one that can maybe at least give, you know, give the, have the information, um, you know, just show them that I've, you know, my my thoughts, my beliefs, maybe that might just, you know, give them, you know, just, you know, take a second look at the idea. So maybe that's the reason why, I'm, you know, I'm coming across these situations. So I just have ideas on how to, um, I guess I just have a hard time explaining it or wording it and making it. Well, yeah, because yeah, but Donna, you know this, and everybody listening, you know this, that it's um, pretty hard to actually explain in a linear fashion the kind of deeper spiritual truths or the more exalted yeah. truths. But I look at you, and you've got way down deep in your soul journey this bluish color. It's a very beautiful blue color. And I go, you have to, um, somewhere deep in your soul, you have to help people from a deep uh, spiritual Mm -hmm. level. it's It's down in your karmic area. And we talked, and I'll just say one more thing, and I'll let you talk, but it... The um, the whole thing I said about how, uh, you know, Adam and Eve and all that, and that we keep repeating the same crap that we're doing to one another over and over again, there is a longing in a lot of us to move our consciousness beyond that, isn't there? You have that right. kind of light. You have that kind of light in you because without right. that moving up, then right. the the species stays the same, or as Anastasia or yeah. whoever did the news said, the primates well, you know are disappearing. I have been told, I don't know if this is true, but I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't be, but I have been told in a past life that I was um, like a general in charge of a, a like a like a, a whole fleet of, uh, it was like there was a war, and I guess I mistakenly had led, um, led my troops into a situation where they were all, we were all killed. So I wonder if that has anything to do with it. <laughs> you know, kind of good. I don't know. Did you, but, huh? How did you, did you resonate with that story? Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah, I do. I, I did. I was just like, wow. Yeah, maybe that has and, something to do with it. I just and yeah. so let me and let me ask you this question: If you come into touch with a past life story and mm-hmm. you resonate with it, it doesn't have to be that you're a general with a mustache and army boots and no. all that. It means no. It means that you're probably more intent than others to lead oh. people in a gentle, always touching the truth kind of way to help yeah. them get through. You see what I mean? Yeah. That's how I understand the use of past lives, and that's how uh, yeah. I think we mm-hmm. we validate it that way, don't you think? I think so. Mm-hmm. I just don't, I, I don't have proof. I don't have the, you know. I just have a. a uh, just a knowing, of just a just belief so strong that I don't need proof. It's just you know when I when I read the books, I you know get all the information. It just rings so true to me, and I don't like uh, a lot of men. They need they need concrete evidence. But you've been a man before, and, uh, right? And I that's true. So I don't I don't know. I just I just isn't it, I just, isn't it fascinating? 
And like Lavendar was saying, we've been so many different things and been involved with so many different people. But I believe that there's this kind of core that's getting wiser or getting more filled out or more multidimensional or whatever. And I see you being quite a sweet influence. And you've been probably a harsh influence before. I just see that kind of rebalancing going on. Because you really intend to be... A contrib- right. Do you know that you really intend to be a contributor in this life, right? In a new I, way. I, I, in a I new feel, way. I feel, well, that's great. I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> if that's the case. And I don't know. I just I, I care about people and I and their well being. And if I can share or do, I would you know that's I would love to do that. And I don't know, just a longing that I have. And I believe I it's so it's strong. Wonderful. Strong. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening to me. I appreciate it. Well. No, I really, uh, your call was wonderful. Thank you for that. Thank you so much. I'm going to continue to listen. You guys are wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Hey, Donna. Thanks so much for calling in. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That that question reminded me um, of a book that I read when I was a teenager that really opened a lot of doors for me. Um, by Ruth Montgomery, called Here and oh, Hereafter. Oh, I read. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Read that book. Yep. Uh, yeah, because Several I mean, of her books. yeah. Um, at that time in my life, I had lost both of my parents, and and I was I was looking for them, because I knew that that they weren't really gone. Mm-hmm. So I started reading a lot of books, and and I remember that that Ruth Montgomery book, Here and Hereafter, it just had <clears throat> case history after case history of of children with past life remembrance at a very young age. Um, you know, a lot of times when you start to get older and you get involved in your current life, you forget a lot of that stuff that was in the still fresh in your mind when you were little. But, mm-hmm. um, you know little children that could speak another language, um, you know, children that had um, musical talent, you know, right out of the box. Um, yeah, just watch the YouTubes of a two- or three-year-old playing some sort of symphonic instrument. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mm-hmm. mean, it just... And, and I, when I was little, I used to go sit in a ditch, and it was... Um, I liked sitting curling up in this little ditch because nobody could see me, and it was like turning a switch, and I would go into where I had come from before. And back to the color thing, most of the stories that came to me were in colors, so I could understand what these blue streaks meant or these golden uh, bars or whatever, you know, and I knew I knew all about where I'd been before. And I think was, a lot of Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say I think a lot of kids have some version of that going on. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of uh wisdom that gets carried over and then like I said when they start <clears throat> excuse me getting into school and um those memories can fade. Um but yeah, I mean I can I can remember when I was 6 or 7 um having a a situation and I'm thinking to myself, okay, next time I'm going to I'm going to do it differently. 
And then, you know, and then my little 3D seven-year-old brain says, what do you mean next time? <laughs> you know, but that was my. And what was your answer? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, next time I'm going to do this a little differently. Um, I can't even remember the situation, but um, yeah, yeah. And but even then, by by the age of seven, I had enough 3D training. It's like, oh, what do you mean next time? You only get one life. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but there's just that knowing. Um, and then you know later in my teens when I when I read here and hereafter, it, it just pieces started falling together, you know, and the and the the um, the path led you, to greater understanding. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful book. Did you ever read Michael Newton? People at home, did you ever read Michael Newton's um, Journey of Souls and Destiny of Souls? Because he's the um, he's a fellow who took people into he's a hypnotherapist took people into uh, deep deepening places and in spite of his work they began to go farther than he had planned and they went into life between lives and there and that's where he got into chronologuing an awful lot of contracting that people made between. Uh, between lives, you know, the contracts that, you know, so there are two people that were alive and then they were on the other side, both of them, and then they're making a new contract on how to cope with a new life. Have you read his stuff? No, I haven't, but I, I have um, read other books that had similar information. That, I mean, it sounds familiar um, from not that book specifically, but yeah, yeah, that's the the time between lives where you make decisions and uh, see where you could have done better and see what situations will help you to do better and and you plan for those um, and then <laughs> and then you get born and the most you can hope for is that um you know people don't start getting pulling you off track um but the the starseed I think the starseed kids and I call them kids you know they're people born after 1980 um they have an, an inherent knowing, I think, that it, it I know, comes it's with, incredible. With mm-hmm. the extra DNA that they have, the extra strands of DNA. But, you know, in, in the course of the um, sessions that we do and the, and the charts that we see, um, there's a lot, a lot of starseeds waking up that were born in the 80s. Mm. And they're coming age and... They're, they have wisdom way beyond their years, and it's delightful to experience. It gives you a lot of hope for the future, you know. If oh, it sure does. Also, just, you notice that they come in and they can start their their comprehension of computers and all the electronics is absolutely massive, and they don't even seem to need much training. <laughs> no, it, it's a it's kind of a a, a natural talent. Um, but there's it I mean, might be go ahead i was just thinking it might be right in their dna that they're already wired you know sometimes i wonder about technology and the universes and whether it uh the the dna is kind of wired by some great uh computer out there <laughs> well in a way um because uh, i mean from lavendar's material on Atlantis, they did a lot of 
um, genetic mm, manipulation, some of which may have been beneficial, but then they went way too far with it and it got way out of hand. However, they were Isn't that able... that when they had the centaurs and all that? Yeah, well, they, they started crossing species and... Uh, yeah. Lavender's material on Atlantis goes into the great detail about that. But there was um, genetic codes placed, or the DNA was altered to include certain codes all the way back to Atlantis. So now, um, 12,000 years later, as Atlanteans are returning to make sure that we don't do this again with the misuse of power, these codes go off, and it, it is in the DNA. And certainly, I think the um, you know people that were born after 1980, these codes are intact, and a lot of them, um, they're just wise beyond their years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it really does give me a, a great hope for the future, um, as long as they stay healthy. You know, it's pretty uh, hard for them to stay healthy, isn't it? Well, what do you think about, like, ascent? we talked about ascension, and um, can't we create, I mean, we are so unlimitable, right? And the activating these codes, for example, wouldn't that activate some of our ability to transcend the the three-dimensional limitation thing of, like, this and this equals this? Right and move us into fifth dimension, fourth and fifth dimension, and beyond, giving us right. access to a new kind of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I kind of I kind of see ascension um, as levels because we're I mean we're always ascending. It's it's just expanding of consciousness, and right. you know it's like going through first grade, second grade. And each time you conclude a grade, there is a little step up and another another um, ascending movement. And then when you finally graduate, as Lavendar said, and then you don't have to come back, that's when you have, you know, really got your Ph.D. So, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I see ascension as an incremental thing and until you get to the to the final level. So, I mean, you can get up to a certain level and you die, you come back, and then you pick up where you left off and you keep going um, until until you have graduated to the point where you don't have to come back. And we have a lot of people on the planet that didn't have to come back, but they volunteered right. anyway, you know, to come and help. So, and we we met a lot of those uh, a lot of those people. But I have this other uh, question. I agree with you, what you're saying, but I have this other one, which is, can we not move into different dimensions whilst being alive in order to have, a, uh, like, for example, um, I heard about being able to create solutions for the atmosphere, which will come from some ET technology and also people being able to rise above the third dimension. And um, what do you think of that? Well, absolutely. Everybody has that capacity to to move interdimensionally. Um, it, it, I guess it kind of, the the determining factor is how entangled you are in the 3D way that it all is, 
You know, people, it's like, well, this is the way it is. Well, it is because you say. <laughs> that doesn't mean that it really is. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think that everybody has that capacity to to move through dimensions and you can gain insights and understandings from upper dimensions and some people can bring that back through. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, it kind of is. I'm thinking of it more of a concerted effort to um, make, like, to have influence, to save the primates, for example, right? It's to mm-hmm. activate the codes that will help us move into the higher dimension, which can create uh, an earth that is not droughted and an earth that is no longer destroyed. You know how some great teachers talk about there's two earths? coming up and um, and I often think that it's vibrationally that we raise our fields and frequency in such a way as we don't attract the lower ones or the third dimensional ones we move up into another realm so there's like another realm in which it's like a whole earth is uh, activated into a, a healing kind of thing for the whole earth and all the people does that make sense? yes yes Absolutely. And that doesn't mean dying to me anyway. It doesn't mean that. It means choosing to raise your fields of frequency. And I think a lot of these kids come in with that potential more available. Some of those older people are having to learn it, but um, that's possible too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's more of a natural state. Um, and for, for the younger people that um, have different... Or more more strands of DNA than you know people born a hundred years ago, um, and they do seem to be much more um, mobile, say dimensionally mobile. That's a new phrase that I just came up with. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah, dimensionally mobile. Um, we all have that capacity. I agree. But yeah, sometimes um, there are so many belief systems in place on this planet that were designed to impede that oh, kind yeah. of heaven no you know so we have to uh, we have to, number one recognize where we are accepting limits imposed by the system and mm-hmm. um or if there are limiting factors in our emotional which you you call um react reactivity um the reactions that are carried from lifetime to lifetime. Um, I mean, yes, those have to be cleared out. Yeah, they don't have to be real, do they? I, I think while you're saying that, I'm thinking of, um, for example, phar- pharmaceuticals, and I'm thinking of the number of people I know that can raise their uh, the energy fields that they use uh, higher and create healing without using that. And I often wonder if the Internet is not a training for our intuitive self so that we can raise our consciousness above it and communicate without it finally. Do you know what I mean? Isn't that fun? Yeah. yeah. Well, the Internet is is the best of and the worst of. Um, you can use it as a tool or or it can it can be your master, you know, so it's really it's up to the individual to make the choice on, on uh, the boss around here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, there's there's just tons of resources, and we can 
you know, we can choose to explore them, or there are people that would just rather stay with the the familiar logical 3D that they're just because they're familiar with it doesn't mean it's empowering. It doesn't mean it's the best route for them to go, but sometimes people fall back on on what's familiar. Because well, I think I mean, the news that you guys were talking about at the beginning, uh, GMO uh, salmon and chicken, that kind of distressed me. Did it distress you? Oh, oh, it was. I was squirming in the chair here. <laughs> I mean, because it's just. I'm thinking it's Atlantis. It's Atlantis. Yes, exactly. Did we not learn? Exactly. You know, you cannot mess with Mother Nature, and. Um, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's, I mean, that just applies to everything when it comes to technology and pharmaceuticals and, you know, cell phones, all the wireless technology. That's what I'm saying. If if the, um, the star seeds can stay healthy and avoid, you know, chemicals in food and wireless radiation all the time, and um, you just there's a lot of pitfalls. So we have to be um, at least conscious enough to see them as for what they are. You know, um, yeah, they're just they're I, I so. Think also, Go ahead. Yeah. Well, you were talking a few minutes ago about how. Um, uh, like the whole Atlantean thing, isn't that kind of GMO, pharmaceutical, all that stuff? And even the um, oh, there's so many stories like stopping free energy and all of that. That's just people trying to be secure and maintaining the power of their financial resources, isn't it? Oh, of course. Yeah, you know, it's just it's. It's about power, it's about control, and it's the misuse of power, the misuse of technology. That's why I'm saying it's like that's why so many Atlanteans are are back because mm-hmm. we're on the precipice of of doing it again. Now, uh, personally, and, and Lavendar, you can chime in on this, I personally don't think that the the Pleiadians, for one, and or the whole Federation, they're not going to let Atlantis happen again in another uh, in another incarnation. Um, I just I don't think they'll they won't they won't let that happen. And I mean, Lavendar knows more about Atlantis um, than I do, and more than most people. And I believe that that's um, something that I've heard you say, Lavendar, that that Atlantis won't be happening again. But how far will they let it go before they step in? Well, and one of the things I know is that it the last time it went down, it was about uh, issues of power, right? And and isn't I don't mean personal well, personal power, but it was issues of um, uh, crystal power or uh, some power that lit up things and then it blew up. That's what I was taught. So I don't know. Uh, I think we have different different stories and different legends, but I keep thinking, well, the issue of power is very huge all over the world right now, isn't it? Well, yeah, but I don't think that's anything new. <laughs> it's, there's always been, um, you know, the the elite controllers um, on the planet. 
but um, Lavendar went through intensive downloads um, where she was like three hours every day shown like it's like movies holograms wow, of what really what actually happened in Atlantis and there was um, you know misuse of crystal energy there was misuse of science you know when they started messing with genetics and crossing people and animals to be you know like work to work in the caves and the mines and um and they started messing around with genetic manipulation and um you know at at one point um and and lavender if you if you can help me i'm i'm trying to uh, remember um the the material that you presented but there came a point where there was nothing to do except to scrub the whole thing and start over again. And, I mean, Atlantis was brought to the brink of destruction two times prior to that, and and they kind of got a stay of execution. And then the third time, it was there was just nothing to be done. And mm-hmm. um, they... they um, they misused the crystal power. They misused their genetic, their science, their technology, and and things just went too far. Until and yes, there was even political misuse of power when the when the um, when the beloved king of Atlantis uh, was poisoned by his son, and then his son took over, and that's when things really started going south. So um, I don't think the Pleiadians will allow that to happen again. But how far they'll how far they'll let us go before they <laughs> before they step in and say, "Okay, kids, that's enough." Um, don't know when that might happen. But how do you I think do we be- can call them in? Can we call them in? Well, they're here all the time, and they're they're very aware of what goes on. And they keep a watch, and their—I mean, their prime concern is the health of the planet, and uh, you know, and then all the all the star seeds that are on the ground, um, <clears throat> working to to help with the, the balance between man and nature, and the balance between science and spirit. Um, these are these are things that missions that are very important that star seeds are assigned to. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so let me just put the uh put the offer out one more time if anyone would like to um ask a question um to Veronica about their soul journey or their purpose or relationships um you need to press 1 on your keypad if you're already on the switchboard and if you're listening on the computer um then you need to dial 917-889-8292 and then press 1 once you're in so that we know you have a question so um, take advantage of an opportunity to talk to Veronica. She's going to um, do her best to help you with any situation that you need help with. So um, maybe we'll all ascend. Just <laughs> <laughs> we've had, well, you we've know, had... I often think when you're talking about the Pleiadians and uh, wanting to protect the planet. I think the process of going up a notch or two or three in a process of ascension is one of the ways to um, change the energy, change the 
the old Arcturian Chronicles said, change the energy, change the reality. And I really think that's so. I think we can change a lot of our toxicity and a lot of the power structures, but we just have to raise our fields and frequency more powerfully, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it's it's a... It's a planetary consciousness that um, that is it's a measurable thing. I don't know if if um, you had heard about there's a, this guy who has a a device that measures the thought stream, the consciousness on the planet. And, oh wow, really? <clears throat> yeah, and when when um, when Princess Diana was killed, right, there was a change in the planetary consciousness field, where it kind of came together in in you know in sympathy, in a sense of loss. But there was a um, a, a, a tuning, a, a convergence, and and a, and a a change that was that was noticeably um, measured with this device, and mm-hmm. other huge events that that affect the world, you know, like like nine one one. He's been able to measure. Yeah, I remember hearing that that was. Uh, I think it was a day and a half before that everything changed around nine eleven, and you know, as if it as if somewhere we knew. Yes. Yes. So the overall planetary consciousness, if it can come up 10%, would be huge in changing. It doesn't. We don't have to have 100% compliance. If if only 10 or 20% of the population of the Earth takes a step up in their ascension that is going to help pull the rest of... It's like grading on a curve. You know, if you have a right. significant number of people who are living from a higher state of grace and higher consciousness, concern for the, you know, your fellow human being and, and you know, that feeling of unity consciousness, if only 10 or 20% of the people on the planet can achieve that, that'll be enough... To kind of tip the scales and keep and and move everything, accelerate everything into the age of reason, which mm-hmm. is starting to. I mean, it, it officially started in 2012, but it's it's a thousand years. It's going to be like a golden golden era, and it seems like is it going to take a thousand years? I thought it should have started by but, now, don't you think? Yeah, but in the <laughs> In cosmic terms, three years is a is a nanosecond, um, but we will get there. Yeah, I know. I know. I remember when the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi uh, came, you know, started with meditation in this country. He he was saying the same thing about ten percent. He was going, "We just need ten percent, right?" Right. Right, and and um, even just tiny, tiny little things that demonstrate respect whether it's recycling or or you know um 
returning love for anger, any, you know, any small demonstrations that we can do on an everyday kind of basis um, will help. So it's just it's the it's the consciousness of respect, and it only takes you know a tenth of the people mm-hmm. to make a difference. And the star seeds are being activated all over the world now, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Like, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder what the proportion is. I'm thinking about the ten percent, and I'm going. Star seeds are waking up and being activated. Remember in the olden days. Um, like 20, 20 years ago, it was difficult. When you're a light worker, you often had trouble meeting other light workers. It was hard to find one another. Maybe it was 30 years ago, but it was hard to find one another. Now people are amassing. People are getting together. People are activating other people, and it's it's growing pretty massively, pretty fast, isn't it? It is, and I think the Internet is largely responsible for that because it's bringing people together. Yeah. Where, you know, just because you're in Australia, you know, you could pick up Skype and you could be talking to that person in a matter of seconds. So, though in that respect, the world is getting smaller, the people are are I think the borders, the boundaries are dissolving and and moving towards a more of a world community. I think you're just saying something brilliant, which is that um, the actual, like the ripple of consciousness is going on uh, around or the, around um, politics, around countries, around who's a refugee and who's a an immigrant, around uh, passports. It's going around. It's just going everywhere, right? Yes, it is. <clears throat> and And really the... Um, I mean, I talk to people all over the world, and the more I mean, the more you talk to people from all different kinds of countries, the more you realize that everybody's the same. You know, I mean, <laughs> we all have the same um, questions, the same issues, the same wants and desires. The, you know, I mean, generally speaking. Um, <laughs> red or yellow black or white doesn't matter we're just we're just all part of this uh, of a of a human community and i think yeah. that's what we're moving to um and it is accelerating it is accelerating and star seeds are waking up especially since 2012 and you know we've 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 tried to estimate how many star seeds are on the planet and it's it's really kind of an unknowable thing, but um, it's in the multiple tens of millions. Well, you not- know, Peter. Do you know who Peter Calhoun's work? Um, he he's on the other side now, but he talked about there is almost a half a billion. I would not be surprised. But they aren't all awake yet, but they're waking up. So if and we need, and, hey, Ariel, if we need 10%, what's a half a billion related to 10%? What do you think? Well, if there's 6 billion people in the world, you know, that's, that's getting close. That's that getting, getting close, close. Yeah. Under 600,000 is, is it 10% of 6 billion? I don't know. 
<laughs> since I got a calculator, I don't do math in my head like I used to. Um, six billion and six million. I, I, anyway, I, I, I'm, I can't do that in my head. <laughs> I can't but either. Close, but it's, be. it just—it feels, yeah, it feels like it's pretty darn close. And I do think that we can do a lot to heal things, to create to create foods, maybe to offset the GMO thing, although that's a pretty big job right now, big bucks. Yeah, well, it's up to every star seed to be responsible to for you know what foods they buy and what choices they make. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's about technology or food, um, it's each individual's choice. And we can we can choose to buy one product over another. Uh, we still have that freedom, so you know, um, starseeds just have to be they have to be aware, they have to be smart, and they have to make wise choices mm-hmm. when it comes to their own well being. And you That's have to true. have that. And we have to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you have to have that first. You have to have yourself. You know, you have to have your health. You have to have your energy. If you're going to turn around and do work on the planet, um, and certainly, I have a lot of star seeds that that they want to know, they want to do their mission, and they want to move on into their their star seed um, status and mission. And then, after they say that, almost in the next breath, then they're talking about completely 3D. Um, you know, not getting along with somebody or, you know, problems with their job. or My point is that you have to have yourself healed. You have to be whole and functioning and conscious before you turn around and do a mission because you're not going to be asked to go do some, you know, important galactic mission when you don't have your own act together. You kind of know what I'm so it's important that you seek the healing that you might need and you know watch out for your own well-being because only then can you move on to the bigger you know galactic play i know isn't that interesting hey yeah yeah but if you're i mean if you're still because fighting, it's pretty hard to have all your act together have you ever noticed that <laughs> yeah well when i say having your act together it's you know just living from a point of um, love and nurturing, you know. But when you're when you're fighting with everybody all the time, you you're not you know you're distracted, and your frequency yeah. is down, you know. So yeah, when you're unhappy and depressed and and all of that, you got to get those things handled before you can move on to a galactic mission because you just won't be asked to do that when you're when you're disabled in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're you're busily defending instead of creating, probably. Tell me something. Can I ask you about another show that you had, which was about the bloodlines? Do the bloodlines help us understand who's a starseed and who um, who's ready to go into uh, galactic service, that sort of thing? Well, I think I know what you're talking. We're talking. We had a, um, a guest named Nick Redfern who had a, a book out called Bloodline of the Gods. Um, right. Lavender talks a lot about bloodlines, and um, the interesting um, observation 
was about the Rh negative bloodline, and hmm. uh, you know the genetic um, connections to extraterrestrials uh, through the Rh negative bloodline. But there are there are lots of star seeds that are Rh positive, so I don't think that's a um, a complete. I mean, you can't just say, "Oh, well, if you're star seed neg, I mean, if you're Rh negative, you're star seed, and if you're not, you're not." But mm-hmm. uh, the bloodlines on the planet carry, um, and in the star seed bloodlines, carry the codes and the frequencies and the activations. It's it's already there in the package, and you know how I mean, you can have your alarm clock go off and sleep right through mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and sometimes the star seeds do that, or they'll hear the alarm clock go off and they hit the snooze button because they don't want the the responsibility of of you know the higher consciousness. So it, there's, but as Lavendar always said, you can come now or you can come later, but you are coming. So eventually, eventually they're going to um, the alarm clock is going to wake them up. So it is set in the blood. In the in the DNA. Well, I, I then, was wondering. Yeah, I was just wondering if red is it red fern? Whether I was just wondering if he said anything about the time link, the 2012, the link to star seeds, and whether there is going to be a big shift or an evolution, and if if he can tell it in bloodlines. And and I guess I'm jumping into questioning something I don't understand, but I think it's interesting. I I think what he yeah, talks about is. I don't recall that he made any point about timing with with okay. um, this bloodline. He was just um, gathering research and talking to people about their experiences and finding commonalities in the RH negative. But some of the things that he talked about also, um, I mean, I'm RH positive, and I think I'm as starseed as it gets, but it's... Um, it is in the blood, whether it's Rh negative or positive. The starseed codes and DNA is it's in the blood. Um, two weeks ago, I I, um, I played a a presentation from Lavendar about crystal implants, and she talked about the crystal implants that are in the DNA. You're born with these, and they mm. are kind of your your guidance system, your navigation system, and and they're set to go off some earlier than others, but I believe that the the wake up system and the you know, the star seeds rising up, this is something that has been planned for so long. The codes are already in place. The people are are coming to the planet, the people are already on the planet. Um, and I think it's a numbers game. So so if there's, you know, five hundred million star seeds on the planet the alarm clocks go off, you know, if if three or 400,000 of them do wake up, then, you know, I, I think it's kind of a numbers game because there are star seeds who just are resisting that, that wake-up call. I don't know whether it's fear or programming or peer pressure or whatever. So... But if the if the majority I of them do, I think it's going to be a fashion, like a fad. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, and there are there, there are people that that they hear about star seeds, 
and they may not have the the codes and they may not have the star markings um on their charts but yeah it's it's becoming trendy um <clears throat> you know to be starseed <clears throat> excuse me because it, it i think it it makes some people feel special yeah but you know what if it does become trendy then probably we'll activate each other on mass much easier right i think so when when it's not um you know taboo i mean when lavender received all this information um it was bef- i mean it was so far ahead uh, of of the timing uh, that you know she didn't dare talk to anybody like you said for fear of being locked up you know if she's just you know, she said, yeah, I had a 14-foot being come and talk to me, and he had 300 feet. <laughs> you know, yeah. she, you know, they would have they carted her away. So it's not only till now, like 30 years later, that she can say, yeah, that happened. And, and people, people are, you know, accepting. It's like, oh, wow, that's something, yeah. you know, rather than, than uh, you know, throwing tomatoes at her. And when she had to hide her information for 25 years, it was during those 25 years that things just began to emerge bit by bit, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, she had some some really um, advanced teachers, contactees, spending time on the ship um, personally um, in training, and she had to keep her mouth shut about it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and hold it. For the kids that are born after 1980, she was told that all along. So mm. now, now I mean, those kids are are they're they're adults. They're grown up, and they're they're wanting to wanting to know. And it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. Mm. No, have you been on the ship, Ariel? Yes, I have. Mm. Um, they don't. I, I've only got two recollections. Um, because they don't often allow you to remember because it would impact how you function in life. Um, Lavendar tells the story of the time that she's like, I want to remember. Don't give me those shots. I want to remember. So they said, you know, <laughs> okay. So they didn't give her her shots. And after she came back off the ship, she couldn't get out of bed for two weeks because she was just, you know, gobsmacked and dumbfounded. And you can't merge the two realities. So, yeah, then the next time she says she was standing in line going, give me my shots, please, so you can function. Um, but, yeah, I mean... When you think merge the two realities, it's like, it's like a dissonant energy or like energy fields that don't mingle? Well, the third dimension is really dense, really hard. Right. And, and the fifth dimension is much lighter and... You know, when you've been uh, you're standing in the presence of of pure radiant love, and um, you know the, the the consciousness of the Pleiadians and and other you know fifth dimensional races, and then you come back here and you and you look at TV and you see the ugliness and the and the cruelty, yeah, those two those two realities can never merge, and wow. you know so when you come off the ship. It's like, you know, someone taking you from, you know, the the palace and throwing you in the dungeon. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really hard to reconcile 
those two realities. So that's why, as star seeds, you know, they do they they take us a lot and do work and teach and educate and and all kinds of things that for our own good aboard the ship. But then we're given shots so that we can't remember. But the evidence of those shots, um, if you look for little tiny red dots on your on your thumbs and your fingers, sometimes on mm-hmm. other places of your body, then then you know. And I often don't, I don't even, they're so teeny tiny that you don't even notice them until you get in the shower and then the hot water hits that spot and it stings and it's like, oh, what's there? And and then you, <laughs> then you realize, that, oh, okay, I did a little traveling last night. And then when you, when you do, um, when you come back, if you suspect or you think you might have been, do you get it in download forms, don't you? Get the information um, in download. Not, not so much. I mean, sometimes I come back with more clarity on on something I might have been confused about, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like a download to me. It just seems like a um, um, you know Knowing. clearing up clearing up some of my misconceptions or or something. I just just have a clarity. Um, well, you know, one day, one day I was in Tucson. I was driving my daughter. Uh, I was driving home from having dro- driven my daughter to school, and I passed a car. There was a lot of traffic going both ways, and I passed a car. This is in Tucson in about '96 or '97, and I passed a car that was a little beige Hillman, an old small car that you never see in America. I'm from Canada. You see them there more often, I think. And it likes a little English car. And this woman went puddling by with this hat on. She looked like a a woman who just come out of a church social. She had this hat with flowers. And she drove by. And as she drove by, her face disappeared. And there was this um, E.T. grinning underneath it. I saw her. I knew she, I knew what it was. I went, oh, my gosh. And that's the first time I realized they scream. So there's a lot of ET beings, and I know this, uh, who are screened so they don't scare anybody. So people, um, you know, they can do whatever they need to do, and they don't scare us. So they're here, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they, I mean, they walk, they walk sometimes beside us in another dimension, and they just observe you know, and, you know, let's see how you react when that person takes your parking spot. <laughs> you know, I mean, they, they, they check in all the time just to see. So they're here for a number of reasons, right, to protect us yeah, at all. Yeah, to observe yeah. Us. yeah. Well, and haven't they been here since time began? Um, well, probably at least since life began. I mean, I've, I've heard... Um, I've heard that the earth was terraformed hmm. um so that so that life could exist here. And uh, yeah, I mean the ETs have such amazing technology that it's it's almost it almost seems godlike what what they can do with with technology, but it's technology that is um natural if that if that makes sense it's it's um um, that's not the right word. 
I know what you mean. It's in harmony. It's not dissonant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 mm-hmm. technology that does not go against, um, you know, the laws of nature and the and the cosmos. But I I I know that they are not going to let us blow up the planet. They're not going to let Atlantis happen again, and and the darkness will not prevail on the planet. I know that as, as well as I'm sitting here, they won't allow that to happen. Um, That's so wonderful. They just, yeah, they, they won't. So, you know, we do what we can to assist and and try to stay out of the way um, mm-hmm. to, to some degree. You know, like the, the, the big things, you know, whoever has their finger on the, you know, launch the nuclear weapon button, they've got... They've got ETs on them all the time, so those buttons will never be pushed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they're not going to oh, oh, I did see the thing with um, uh, Larry King where there was a missile being shot off and it got stopped. It got intercepted by uh, an ET or UFO kind of situation. Yeah. It was on the news briefly and yeah. then it disappeared. I mean, you know what? It's like, it's like kids in the basement playing. Yeah. It's like you can make up a certain amount of mess and noise, but when you cross the line, mom's coming down there and there's going to be hell to pay, you know, so (laughs) it's kind of, they'll, I mean, we can, we can mess up and we can, you know, drive animals to almost extinction, but there's going to be a point where they say, okay, that's enough. You have overstepped the boundary and and they will step in, but I um, want yeah, we all and well, they do. They they probably do much more than anybody even imagines. I'm looking at the clock here, um, Veronica, and I'm having such a good time chatting with you that uh, <laughs> we're just about out of time here. So I want to leave a couple minutes so that I can properly um, repeat your website information. So we encourage you to pick up a copy of Veronica's new book, My Near Life Experience, and there are links. For that, um, the book is on Amazon. I'm sure there's a link on your website as well. Um, yes. For all for both of your books as well as both of your radio shows, and your website is Veronica Entwistle. It's E N T W I S T L E dot com. And your um, Radiance by Design radio show is on Thursdays at 7 p.m. on BBS Radio, and you have Paradigm Shifters at 8 on Tuesday on Pacific Time, also on BBS Radio. So everybody check out Veronica's radio shows. And you have, the is it the, um, is it the Radiance by Design that is the call-in? Yes, Radiance, uh, 7 o'clock Thursdays, it's a call-in show. And I teach meditation, and uh, we do our sacred geometric forms on that so that people can do healing work in, inside of that uh, galactic healing center is what I call it. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, I want to thank, thank you, you so much, much Ariel, and thanks to Lavender. Well, it has been thank our pleasure. And um, keep in touch with us. Remember to send Lavendar your book. I will. And... <laughs> From all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, we thank you for listening and I hope you have the best, most wonderful Thanksgiving. Remember that we all have much to be grateful for, so spend a little time each day counting your blessings with gratitude. 
Until next week, everybody, take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. You're so welcome. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 